the Open Paddock Rallycast presented by Oz Rally Pro. This is episode number 112, and in this show, we have returning guest William Petro. Petro is now in a new role as the marketing and promotional director for the new United States Rally Sport Federation sanctioning body. We talk about what holes this new sanctioning body is designed to fill, the new car classes. We also get a bit of an update of what's going on in the Broken Motorsports shop. Join us for another round at the virtual rally pub we call the Rallycast. Greetings, I'm your host, Mike Shaw, and welcome to Open Paddock Rallycast. As stated in our last show, we had a bit of a delay in the release of this one due to flooding of organic detritus of the most pungent variety. Yeah, Derek's basement had a drain pipe that backed up, and you can imagine the uh, yuckiness that he's had to deal with. Poor guy. Thankfully, most of that's been cleaned up now, and we can get back on track with uh, getting our podcast edits done, because we've got a couple in the pipe here. We appreciate your patience, and hope you enjoy this episode as well as others. I'm actually recording this on January 23rd, right after the WRC Monte Carlo finish. I honestly wanted to give you guys a brief summary of what I thought of the event. I'm actually really excited and been impressed by the hybrid era. I think the cars still look and sound fantastic. There's no visible lack of performance, even though they're 155 pounds more approximately. What was also cool to me is that in addition to the tire strategies we always see at uh, Monte Carlo, well, even other events too, right? Because they have just so many softs and super softs and whatnot. Monte Carlo especially is challenging there. But there's another strategy with the hybrid system that unfortunately has viewers don't quite get visibility into. And I think that's kind of my only gripe. Let me explain a bit. The competitors uh, engage the hybrid electric boost system via engine mappings, not through a button on the wheel or something like that. Each manufacturer is allowed three different map modes and three different modes for regenerating the power as well, so how it regenerates under braking. Now there's limitations how much energy can be deployed for each one of these boosts, and drivers have to reach a certain amount of regeneration threshold under the braking before they can use a boost again. For those of you that were watching it on the TV, you may have noticed this uh, little icon, uh, if you're watching it on the uh, WC All Live, where you'd see boost kind of flash for a bit, and then all of a sudden this little meter showing regen, and once that reached its end, then it would show boost again. And that kind of shows you that you had to finish one cycle before you could do the other. So they've got kind of all these limitations in how these map modes are done. Uh, Some online documentation I found said that 100 kilojoules can be used for each boost, and it can be deployed differently, such as if you use kind of all of it, you'd have 130 horsepower approximately boost for just one second, or you get half that amount of boost, so about 65 horsepower for two seconds, that kind of thing. So you can kind of adjust how you want to do the boost in those engine maps. Again, very interesting but there's nothing we can really see about how they're doing it. The other thing that made this strategy kind of interesting is the map modes can be different for each stage, but they can't change at mid-stage. So as an example, you could say boost map one and regen map three is used for stage one, and boost map three, but with regen map two, was used for stage two or something like that. This is separate from the launch mode, which the launch mode every driver can employ. That gives them an extra 110 horsepower approximately for 10 seconds at the start of every stage. Competitors can also completely disable the entire hybrid system if they feel that's an advantage or if they need to or whatever. They can't just re-enable it easily though once they've disabled it. So uh, there's some other stuff in there too. I I think this is a really neat strategic element to add to the sport and 
I wish there was a way that we could communicate it to the fans because, you know, I'm not going to say that they need to give it all away because these, I guess, are homologated mapping modes that they've got. Fine, fine, fine. We don't need to know that, say, Hyundai has hybrid map two is 70 horsepower for two seconds when the pedal's depressed by 25% and all that kind of detail. But just knowing that, say, Thierry Neuville is using Boost Map 2 with Regen Map 3 on a certain stage versus his teammate, Tanak, is using Boost Map 1 and Regen Map 2. Or, you know, something that would communicate to us fans what's being different in addition to the tire strategies that we can kind of follow along with. Even if it's not specific, we know all those details. I think it's just another fun thing. If we're going to focus so much on this hybrid stuff, I I think that would just be a cool thing to kind of highlight. Like I said, that's my only real gripe with what I saw from the coverage. I would have liked more on that. But you know what? Monte Carlo is is fantastic. And seeing M Sport being as competitive as they were right out of the gate with their Puma, that was just awesome. So you talk about building a car from the ground up. This is a tubular chassis. It wasn't even a, a car that they started with. It was zero. It is nothing but bars that they started from there. So that was really cool to see how well that uh, they were able to put that together. The fact they also sacrificed essentially two seasons to invest in developing a new car. It seems like that that was a good move. And uh, everybody in the M Sport squad seemed like they were happy with the hybrid system and how it was working for them versus the other teams. All of them at some point had some sort of weird issues that, that, that they were complaining about with the hybrid. Uh, I don't know, it's just because of the testing time and development of those maps and things like that that made M Sport so much superior in that respect, but it, it seemed to be obvious they were the only ones really kind of happy with it. Anyways, I just want to also say a huge congratulations to Sebastian Loeb and especially to his woman co-driver, Isabel Galmiche, I think it was, for their win at Monte Carlo with uh, M Sport. That's awesome. It was, uh, I guess, uh, Fabrizia Pons, who was the last uh, woman who was on the top step of a podium, and that was back in 1997. That's awesome that we have another woman um, up at the top again. I hear that she's actually a math teacher. And so can you imagine what it's going to be like going back to school uh, in front of the class and uh, saying, you know, what did you do for the weekend, you know, (laughs) and being able to say that you just won the uh, Monte Carlo rally in the top class. That's that's something pretty epic. And I thought that was awesome. Also, a huge congratulations to Gus Greensmith. He had performance that I didn't know he had. Uh, You know, he's been kind of a backmarker for a while. Again, yeah, M Sport has had their issues with their car not previous car not performing after a while as they focus everything on the new car. But it just seemed like he was just kind of out to lunch for so long, and he was the happiest I've ever seen him. And he got a stage win. His performance was right up there. Wow, this is the Gus Greensmith we're going to see from now on. I'm impressed. I hope we see more of it. To be honest, um, I thought that was pretty cool. And then last but certainly not least, a huge, huge, huge congratulations to our friends, the Americans, Sean Johnston and Alex Kiriani for finishing fourth place in WRC2 and 11th overall, their best finish to date in WRC and the best that they've done in that car. And wow, their pace was just improving all the time. It it was just great to see them as happy as they were and doing as well as they were. I wish they were more on the uh, all live coverage, but you know what? It's just great to see them out there. And like I said, I was just watching the times to see how they were doing. We also had uh, Canadians was it Jason Bailey was out there. I actually, by the time I'm recording this, I haven't gone back and looked at how he did. Yeah, it's great to see again, more folks from uh, the States and North America in general out there competing. Uh, there's also several working on gravel crews and, and whatnot. So 
awesome stuff. If you haven't watched it yet, sorry if I gave away something. And uh, you should get WRC Plus all live. It's actually, uh, to me, it's it's worth it to see those cars on those stages. They're wicked fast, wicked fun to watch the onboards. Yeah, it was, it was pretty exciting stuff. Okay, enough of my personal rambling. Let's move on to our interview with William Petro and what we know of the U.S. Rally Sport Federation sanctioning body right after this. Go. Five right short over crest into second small crest 40. Pull left plus nips. Hi, this is Alex and Rihanna Gelsomino from Oz Rally Pro, advanced rally training. Are you new to rally or have you been rallying many years? No matter what your experience, we can progress you further. Our classes are team training, driver pace note training, or co-driver training that are tailored to each individual or team. Email osrallypro at gmail.com for further details. Well, welcome back to the Rallycast, Mr. William Petro. How you doing, man? Oh, you know, keeping busy. <laughs> yeah, it seems that way. But first, I have to do the traditional way that we start this show. What are you drinking? Tonight, because I'm at the house in Canada and we only just got here, I'm drinking a Pellegrino. <laughs> I don't have anything. Hey, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, if we were at the shop, I'd be drinking Modelo's, so. I'm going with something with a little stronger. I'm going with a Rock and Rye, which is a drink that's like rye whiskey mixed with some bitters and dark cherry, blood orange, and stuff like that. Basically, it tastes quite a bit like an old-fashioned. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds a little old-fashioned That's cool. Yeah. Nice. It's a nice, relaxing drink to have. Yeah. For sure. Well, that's good. I mean, you know, it's going to be totally a relaxing conversation. So, <laughs> Well, I, I'll try not to blindside you with too much stuff, because obviously this uh, <laughs> U.S. Rally Sport Federation thing, obviously you're part of that. But before we even get into that, I want to ask you, though, how are things going over Broken Motorsports? We haven't talked in a while. I, I'm guessing your shop's just full of cars. Yeah, so I have a very eclectic mix of cars in the shop right now. Of course, some of them are mine that I've acquired since last time we talked, but also uh, some of them are customer cars. I'm actually trying to do a little bit more on the YouTube side of things. I'm trying to create a little bit more video content and stuff like that for the shop, which is really tough to do by myself currently, just with everything that I've got going on. I'm trying to shoot videos here and there, and what I'm going to be coming out with soon, we can talk about, because it's not really a secret. A lot of people know what's in the shop if you follow Broken Motorsports on Instagram or, or Facebook, or you just follow my personal account, probably more even so than Broken Motorsports, just because I don't post much on Broken Motorsports Instagram or Facebook at all, to be honest. I, it's something that I know I need to do more. They just keep asking you to pay money, though, every time you post something, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's annoying, man. Facebook is super annoying with that stuff. Instagram is not too bad, but it's just, it's like, yeah, if you don't pay for you know, whatever you're posting on Facebook, then pretty much nobody sees it anyway. Mm -hmm. So that's why I've been keeping most of the stuff to, on my personal account, which is now I've changed the name from just William Petro to William Petro underscore racing. So it at least denotes that I'm just not some random guy on the internet and that there's racing involved. But yeah, the stuff that's in the shop right now, I've got, I've got a customer's R32 GTR completely stripped down on a rotisserie that was cooked at about 750 degrees and then lightly blasted to sort of get everything off the car. I mean, the, the reason for the burning was to basically just get rid of all the undercoating and seam sealer and glues. paint right. and just, yeah, all the stuff. So it makes our life a little bit easier in terms of just doing some rust repair. And then we're going to be doing a cage and some other stuff on the car. The customer wants to actually powder coat the car afterwards, which is part of the reason why I was doing 
that process. That's one car. I've got a Kazi Escort in the shop right now that we're doing a motor on that is owned by Classic Car Club Manhattan. We do some work for them from time to time on some of these more unique cars, especially the ones that are somewhat rally related. I acquired an ST185 Celica Alltrack. Oh, wow. Super exciting for me because I've been uh, lusting after one for a very long time. I had a GTS, oh God, 15 years ago. I just drove it for a couple months here and there and I really enjoyed the car and I really liked the way that those cars look. Like I like all the Alltracks, but in terms of what looks best to me has always been that ST185 with, you know, the r- more round, big flares, you know, pop-up headlights and all the stuff. What year was that one? One that I have, I think, is a 1990. Gotcha. Not the four-headlight one right. that a lot of people see commonly these days, but the model before that with the pop-up headlights. I only just picked it up in October. Since then, I've already stripped down the interior completely. I've 3D scanned it for a roll cage. Eventually, I'll be building it as a WRC replica is the plan. And I don't 100% know if I will use it for stage rally uh, at all, um, just because components for that car are super expensive and extremely rare. So I'm not sure I'm going to kind of go down that route more of a show museum car thing yeah i think so too i think that's probably going to be mostly the way i go with it i mean i might do a hill climb here or there with it you know just like a local pennsylvania hill climb more to just show the car off a living museum if you will yeah 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 you know me i I like to drive everything i have i don't care how nice it is Mm -hmm. or what it is i like to drive everything i have so i i do like the idea of sort of a living museum piece and I definitely want to put that out there. To me, that that's kind of like, you know, I'm a huge airplane fanatic. And there's people that think, you know, the P-51 Mustangs, you know, are rare enough that, you know, they should only be in museums and they shouldn't be flying them anymore because they could crash. And I'm like, oh, God, no. It's that visceral sound yeah. of that plane that connects us to it. Yeah, they are so cool. Yeah. And, and I think it's the same way with the rally cars too like i feel like a lot of it is the sound Mm -hmm. that people can really associate with or really fall in love with the celica has a somewhat unique sound it's not like a subaru unique you know what i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's a little different but it's it does have a very distinct sound for celica if you know what you're listening for it's definitely something that i want to i want to make sure other people get to see get to hear and just touch up close I don't want to just hide it in the shop. There's no point in doing that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So there's the Celica, the GTR, Kazi, right? What else? Somehow I've been acquiring GC and GDs again. So I've got two RSs now. I've got two bug eyes. I should say two RSs on top of my ICE car, which is a, a weird combination of car. It's an old SCCA Pro Rally car that is Subaru powered but has a full Audi Quattro drivetrain in it with like Porsche 944 turbo front brakes. And it's a weird, weird car. A little bit of a Franken car. Yeah. Yeah. It was built in 1997. It was intended to basically be an open class car. Obviously at the time there was no Subaru six speeds available. You know, there was nothing on the market until they came out in Japan in 2000, 2001. So, you know, they went to the next greatest, easiest thing for them to grab, which was all Audi components. And they basically hand built everything to make it work. Adapter plates and weird stuff like they're using Subaru knuckles, but Audi hubs. So they went through the Mogul catalog, figured out the ID OD of the wheel bearing and figured out a 
wheel bearing to fit in there. I still haven't even spent the time to figure out what wheel bearings they used because I do need to do wheel bearings on it. It's a very odd car considering it uses Subaru subframes, Subaru control arms, Subaru knuckles, and even Subaru suspension, but then uses Audi Quattro trans rear diff axles, drive shaft hubs, rear brakes, the front brakes, like I said, are 944 turbo front brakes, runs on Motec, an old school Motec, has anti-lag, has a flip manifold rotated turbo setup that nobody was doing other than the WRC car in 1997. You know, I don't think people started really doing that to Subarus as a modification until like the mid 2000s. And then it has a full one-off sort of custom WRC wide body that's made to mimic the WRC car that they built by hand. And I actually have the molds for that stuff too. So how's it drive? It is probably the fastest rally car I've ever driven. And it is extremely difficult to drive. It's exhausting to drive. It's not like a Subaru. The motor's been moved up a couple of inches. It's also been dropped a little bit. The weight transfer in that car is very strange and it's got the ability to lock the center diff and the diff is always locked in that car it actually doesn't have any of the vacuum assist uh, components anymore so it's actually just fully locked all the time in the center and then it's got a 1.5 way lsd in the front and a 1.5 way lsd in the rear so everything you do to that car to get it to rotate it's a little bit of steering it's a lot of left foot steering with the brake pedal and then it's just a lot of throttle and being super early on everything. Yeah. If you're late at all in the wheel or just getting the car pitched sideways too late, you're just going to put it off. <laughs> so it's it's pretty difficult to drive that car, and it is extremely exhausting on more grippy surfaces. I've just been using it as an ice car through the winters and stuff like that just to drive on lakes. Now, are you doing that with studs? Yeah, so I just do that with regular just DOT studs. I'm not even going, like, crazy studs. Ah, okay. So so you don't have, like, yeah, the grip that's almost like tarmac. No, you know me. I, I like to slide my cars. I like to drive everything I drive sideways, including my Outback XT. <laughs> but, yeah, that car is... It's an absolute joy to drive on the ice. Where we go to in Maine is a little kid that he saw me ripping around in the car and he begged me to get in the car. And we put him in the passenger seat last year, took him out for a bunch of laps. The kid had an absolute blast. He was probably like seven years old, eight years old, like a tiny kid. Couldn't see over the dash awesome. or nothing, but like. You know, the windows are down, the snow's all blowing into the car, and all the noises that that car makes. It's the same sort of thing that you're talking about with the P51. It's just like that car makes all the right noises. It sounds like a WRC car. It, you know, has all of the wastegate and blow-off valve chatter and, and squeaks and all the stuff. I mean, it does all the right things. Yeah. It's just fun to see the car back out and driving again. The short story on it is, is I acquired the car from the people who originally built the car, and I had worked for them as a crew guy for a number of years, way back in the old SCCA days uh, in the early 2000s. But yeah, and then I've got their Fox. They've got a Volkswagen Fox that I have of theirs as well. That was the car previous to the Subaru. That is a 2.8 liter Passat V6 twin turbo. I was going to say. 
from what I know about the Fox, that was the uh, poor girl's um, Jetta. Yeah, little two-door wagon thing. This was like the hatchback one. They built this one to look very similar to like an S1 Audi. So they took all the same cues in terms of like the body and they did the same thing. Big square flares, uh-huh. and the same style rear wing off the hatch. And, and, and a lot of people think that when they see it in pictures of, you know, when I'm just taking pictures of the shop, they go, oh, was that an Audi? S1 up in the in the corner. I'm like, no, it's a Volkswagen Fox, but it does look very similar. And, and like I was saying, it's have a 2.8 liter Passat V6 in it, twin turbo with a full Audi Quattro drivetrain mated to it, and it's got symmetrical control arms front to rear, rear mount radiator setup in it. It's just another wild car, but of course that one, a lot of the components that were in that car initially were taken out and used as spares for the Subaru. So I still have not found time to put that thing together and try to make that thing run again. Picked up a 1970 Classic Mini. Neat. Full rally car. TIG welded cage and everything was it was originally wow. intended to be a NASA rally car. And the guy is a you know government worker, ex-military. He kept getting moved and moved and moved. And he's just like, I, I'm done. I can't do anything with this and uh he posted it up on the rally for sale page on facebook and of course i've got to approve all of the stuff that actually goes up to make sure that it's real rally stuff and i saw the car and i I didn't even bother putting it up (laughs) (laughs) i'm like this is mine i emailed him and i bought it I, i literally went down there like three or four days later and picked up the car i've been slowly sort of picking at it just making it Super, super nice because the car, all of the body work was done. All of the paint was done. The car was flipped over, like even underneath is pristine. Wow. Everything was taken apart. It's got a 1380cc motor in it. That was fully built. I just simply need to finish putting it back together. Do something with that thing. I wouldn't rally that car too. It would be another, you know, living museum piece, essentially. I have a lot of weird cars in the shop on top of stuff that I've had for a long time. Just like my 914, my P1800s, our 67 Austin Healey 3000, random stuff. And then there's customer stuff that you're working on all the time. Yeah, and then there's just random customer, like Subaru, Nissan stuff. Quite interesting what I have in the shop right now. And then, you know, with all the spare time, right. you decide, you know, guys, we want to create a new sanctioning body. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair on that one... I am just the marketing and promotional director. I am not the one who came up with the idea to start a a new sanctioning body. But you know me, as always, anything rally, whoever's running it, I I always want to try to help grow this sport in any way that I can. I'm not one-sided on any level at all. I was really hoping to put together a program to run for the two-wheel drive national championship in the Z with ARA this coming year. But the way things sort of panned out, we had some stuff come up and I'm just not going to even be able to to start the season the way that I had hoped, which would have been at Snowdrift with the car, which everybody tells me I'm crazy for wanting to go to Snowdrift with such a nice car and it being rear-wheel drive. And I was just like, hey man, most people don't go to Snowdrift as a two-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive car. It's a good way to get a jump on some points. And, you know, if you're really chasing the championship, better to go and just hope you finish 
and collect a little bit of points and then, you know, move on to the next event. And it's not about all-out power. Right. It's really about finesse and being able to read the conditions and right. all those things. Exactly. So, which, you know, that car has a lot of power for what it is. That particular car, it's a 370Z. So it's a 2014, so it's a 3.7 liter that makes 330 horsepower out of the box. Ooh. And it's just, the car is ridiculous. There was a Tarmac rally sprint yeah. in October in Tennessee. I did that event with Sarah Freeze in the passenger seat you know i haven't been in the car for a number of years with a co-driver that was actually the first event i was shaking down the car it was just a, a prime event for us to do such things and sort of get me back in the seat with a co-driver and try to work out some notes and all that stuff i mean we saw 128 miles an hour <laughs> multiple <laughs> times in that car and the gearing is just all wrong for that car. It doesn't have an LSD right now. Like, I could have benefited from sway bars. I was on three-year-old tires on some not-so-great suspension. Like, there was a lot of things that could have been better. I could have definitely gone a lot faster than what we were already going. It's almost like the car has too much power. I'm worried about it. On the gravel, it just destroying tires. Yeah. That's going to be a... Something for me to figure out, obviously, down the road at this point, just because plans have changed. And I speak for the rest of USRF on this as well. All of us are not just going to be like, oh, you know, we're USRF, like we're only doing USRF stuff. Like we all love rally. We all want to see rally get to a higher level in this country. We all want to participate and help other events however we can. That bridges nicely actually into kind of one of the key questions I was having here. So what was kind of the initial driving force behind creating this new sanctioning body? And also kind of who are the key players behind it? You know, we know we have you as the marketing promotional director. Who else is involved in getting this thing going? There's a number of people. Really how it all started and how it all came about was just competitors and even rally organizers themselves. All of us BSing, talking and coming up with some stuff and just saying, well, how hard could it really be? Why not start something different that we can sort of control and offer different options for certain things? I mean, really, the whole drive behind it was just, it seems like from the current sanctioning bodies, and you know, I could be wrong on this, but it seems like from the current sanctioning bodies that there's a lack of opening up to new ideas or new opportunities or just any sort of different vehicles being available to drive or run. And at the end of the day, now that we've sort of put our council together and our committee together, we've got about 35 or so people that are on on our board. That's one thing that we're, we're sort of been putting out there on the Facebook groups and stuff like that is that we're working as a group of competitors and a group of rally organizers to sort of really listen to what other competitors have to say and what other rally organizers and event organizers have to say and what they're looking for and trying our best to do whatever we can to make rally more appealing, make it more fun, make it more enjoyable for people to come out and race and just be a part of. Really, the people that are involved, they're people that have been involved in for years, not just newcomers that have little experience that are just looking to uh, help any way they can. And of course, we welcome all those newcomers as well. Our group is extremely diverse. 
We're not just a, a group of guys. We're girls, women, transgender. We've got a whole mix of people. We're really trying to push the diversity, you know, what we're doing. I mean, rally is always going to be a team sport. We see more and more, you know, lady drivers, co-drivers, you know, crew people, even on the event organizer end of things, we see a lot more females getting involved with any sort of direction on things. Yeah, we see it a lot out west too. Yeah. Obviously, we had uh, Karen Jankowski as our chair for Oregon Trail. Yeah, exactly. We're really trying to just make it seem accessible from you know, an outsider's perspective. Mm -hmm. We don't want anybody to feel like they're not welcome or we're pushing them away. Do you think the other sanctioning bodies give that feel a bit? Or is it just that they're not overly promoting it? I personally don't think that anybody else is really promoting it. Not that they're necessarily turning them away from doing such positions or, you know, whatever. But that's one thing that our group in general really wanted to sort of put out there was that we're diverse on a number of different levels mm -hmm. in that sense, but also just competitor vehicle types, the diversity of surfaces. I mean, we're going to be doing snow, gravel, and tarmac, which obviously, you know, ARA doesn't have a full tarmac rally on their calendar. No, they don't. Hard to find. <laughs> they are definitely hard to find. Ever since I started racing in 2009, my first two events were tarmac rallies. You know, we had one in uh, the Catskills in New York, and then the next one was down in Tennessee, sort of southwest of Nashville. I've been a huge fan of tarmac rallies sort of ever since doing them. Mm -hmm. I was scared to death of them before I did it. But once I did the tarmac events, I was like, man, this is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I was always a big fan of watching it, but I was never... In my head, I was never a fan of making that a thing for me as a driver. And then, and then, of course, my first event happened to be that because I was going after a championship that year. So it was like I had to do tournament events no matter what. The diversity of surface, the diversity of gender, the diversity of the amount of vehicles that we're talking about. The 35 people that are involved are a great group of people with a lot of experience and not just ARA or NASA, you know, we're going back to Rally America days, SCCA days, current SCCA days. And when I say old SCCA, I mean SCCA pro rally days, but right. even current SCCA rally stuff. I mean, even on that front, I am the North New Jersey SCCA region chairman for the Rallycross and Rally Sprint program. We all have some weird hats somewhere else. You know what I mean? It's not just here. I have a question about how the committee system works because. I was, you know, involved as ARA got off the ground originally, right. really kind of started with Tim O'Neill and kind of the same thing of organizers and, and competitors getting together, wanting to reboot things a little bit after Rally America. And right. in that design, they had different working groups. So you'd have a, a committee that was the technical committee, a safety committee, you had a even like a media committee, you, you know, you had all these different kind of committees and a chair for each committee. Right. And then the board was kind of all the chairs plus a president, kind of everybody that was a chair, if I remember right. I'm, I'm trying to remember because it's kind of changed since then, obviously. They, you know, everybody had equal voting, basically, you know, and tiebreaker went to the, the president is kind of how that worked. Um, right. How is kind of the structure in in what you guys are doing? Is that kind of similar to that? Yeah, very similar. Not really different at all. We have one seat 
for each of the rallies on our calendar. We have a seat for competition committee, a seat for legal, a seat for volunteers committee. Obviously, I'm the seat for marketing and promotion. We do have John Seaton on the board as media. And then we've got Emmanuel Keshe as the technical director. He's on the board with a seat. We have competitors committee has two seats. We have an environmental committee. IT, we have volunteers committee, a competition committee, which is different than the competitors committee. Right. The one's competition rules, more of the other one is more of what competitors are wanting, right? Right, exactly. And on the competition committee is Andrew Smith and Kathy Moody. They've been involved in rally for as long as I can remember. (laughs) It's definitely been over 20 years. I mean, I've been now in rally for 22 years, which is really hard to believe. Yeah, considering you're only 30 years old, I mean. Oh, God, yeah. I wish I was still 30. (laughs) I turned 40 this year, so I got got my my next notch on the belt there. I did join rally stuff when I was 18. Literally your entire adult life. Literally, yep, exactly. And of course, that all started with my crazy passion for rally and having a chance to get into it. I've worn a lot of different hats over the years. It all started as a, as a stage volunteer, eventually went to crew for teams, uh, eventually crewing for national championship winning teams and going to X games and being a competitor myself. And then in recent years, I've been concentrating more on trying to, make events happen and and being an event organizer and stuff like that. It's a little bit different world when you get into that, isn't it? Yeah, totally different world. Obviously, I did some announcing stand-in for you at STPR, and I've done some announcing at Southern Ohio Forest Rally. I'm not really a stranger to uh, the position I'm currently in with USRF on that front. It's been a long time of me being involved, but there's, there's, like I said, there's a lot of people here that have even more time than me on this board, which I think is fantastic. So let's talk about what's different about the USRF. So we got this committee kind of thing. That was what ARA started out as. Fortunately or unfortunately, it's kind of changed. There were some issues that I can speak to some experience on the whole committee thing in that the time to get decisions made on the brand new sanctioning body was slow because of all the committees and having to get people together, especially across the country. Right. You know, you're more Eastern based right now, which makes it probably a lot easier. But the way it was with early ARA days, trying to get everybody to get on calls at the same time when we all have day jobs. Yeah. Very difficult. And then trying to get those votes in or whatever. And it's like, okay, we need to have somebody that has more authoritarian power, at least in the beginning. Right. To get you know, the important just quick decisions made, even if they're the bad guy for a little bit. And then once those rules are flushed out, then it kind of it becomes incremental after that. And that's where I think the committee thing works especially well, is kind of after that initial couple of years. But obviously, then there's the takeover of, of USAC and stuff, which kind of changed things and not necessarily bad. Just different. Different. Yeah. Exactly. Just different. Let's talk about what's different, though. I mean, you, you talked a lot about being more open to different kind of cars. That kind of right. leads me into the car classes that you guys have, which is... First of all, some of the names are kind of humorous and fun. The Insanity and Misfits class. (laughs) Right. (laughs) To start it out as part of your unlimited group. Yes. Uh, When I first saw this, the first thing that came up to me was Hoop DX or that kind of thing. The Lemons kind of thing, you know, all that stuff, which is kind of fun. Yeah. So explain to me this class, because it looks like it kind of allows just about anything. Yeah, that's just it. 
the insanity in misfits class is really more for what I guess ARA has as as open class. It's more designed for like R5s, WRC style cars, homebrewed cars that are wild and insane that would not necessarily fit any of the all-wheel drive or two-wheel drive max rules on that front. So it's really more or less for those style cars cars, which lately there's been quite a lot of R5s coming in. I mean, obviously McKenna has his WRC car and and stuff like that. It's truly open. Yeah. It's like a true open class, but more or less just to sort of segregate those guys into one group if they decided to come and race with us. We do know of, you know, some wild and crazy cars that are out there that don't fit into any of the current rules, whether it be NASA or ARA, that might possibly want to come run with us just because we have the open door, mm-hmm. needless to say, on that front. So that's really what that's about. Would it be too much calling it almost like an exhibition class? Yeah. The only reason why I say it that way is because with it being so open, I think I find it hard to find a way to regulate equality and competition yeah that makes sense yeah totally yeah and that's part of it build what you want come race it obviously you have to have all the safety stuff and the 36 millimeter restrictor but other than that we kind of don't care as far as who's winning and whatnot you're out here for fun guys because we're not going to be able to regulate these things are so that are so different is the way i'm seeing it. yeah that's why that class is so open to be honest there's not going to be much regulation in there in terms of you have too much power or you have too much this or that. It's really more or less just a, a fun place to be in terms of championship. And that's why we're not really going to have like an open class or sorry, you know, championship per se. Right. And that makes sense. Like I said, if you, it, it's really too hard to govern when you allow so many different things. But I, I did notice about this one is you're going to allow full electric in addition to hybrids as an option here. Is that right? Yeah. Depending on, um, or I should say the emergency response teams, obviously this is going to vary from event to event just due to the fact that not every event is going to be prepared properly emergency response-wise to handle an electric car. That's the big thing. But, you know, that's going to be at the discretion of the event itself. If we do have them available to race, let's be honest, that's the way of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the way we're going. So why not get a jump on some of this stuff and really start to figure out what all is needed to run these classes and offer that? I'm sure some companies wouldn't mind, some manufacturers maybe wouldn't mind using our rallies as testing to, you know, for product development. And that's just something that Pikes Peak, for instance, has had an electric class now for a number of years. Yeah, they have both in motorcycles and in cars. Right. Yeah. It's definitely something that they've put a lot of effort into in terms of trying to figure out safety requirements needed and, and, you know, emergency responders and all that sort of thing. A lot of what we'll have in our rule book will probably translate from their rule book on that end of things too so you know it's just the way that things are going Mm -hmm. it seems like hybrid and electric are going to be a thing in the future and why ignore it wrc starts with it here in just a few more weeks so we're not too far off from that for sure Exactly. And that, and that's another reason why we were talking about the hybrid stuff was mainly because, you know, the new WRC cars are going that way. 
why not put it out there? Yeah. You know, I mean, somebody might want to run a Prius. Funny enough, that was at Olympus. Yeah. We had a Prius that came. Yep. And, you know, it had to run as an exhibition uh, in front of the rest of the cars because it didn't fit any of the categories. <laughs> right. You know, it had all the safety features and all that stuff. We don't have a class for you. We, we You don't meet the rules currently, but we like what you did. And this was done by TRD, Toyota Racing Development, right? It was a proper build. Oh, right. my goodness. Yep. But no real place to run it. And so it kind of had to run as an exhibition. I mean, it wasn't the fastest thing in the world, obviously, but it was neat that they could run it. Yeah. It would just been nice to be classed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, something like that, despite its hybrid core, I mean, at the end of the day, we all know it's not very fast. It probably could be grouped in with two-wheel drive on some level. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But yeah, I mean, you know, we're not expecting, obviously, a large turnout for the the hybrid of the electric classes just right away. I mean, that's something that we're going to grow into over time. And we just want to be prepared for it if it does end up growing quite a bit larger. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, you guys start coming out with those rules and, you know, maybe even others learning from you to come out with rules and stuff to expand that because it, it is time to at least allow it in that what the first Toyota Prius was on our federal highway, you know, on our highways and roads in 97. So it's like, OK, we are more than two decades yeah. past when we've had hybrids around, it's high time we figured out safety stuff for that. If, if your local fire department can handle those since then, right? the rest of us maybe can figure something out. Obviously, that's not in a racing car, but it does show that there's got to be some way. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of the, at this point, like you're saying, two decades down the road, all of the EMS and fire departments and stuff like that, they know how to deal with these hybrid cars at this point. They've all had to deal with Priuses or, you know, Insights or mm -hmm. any of that type of stuff. Or Teslas, for that matter, for full electric, sure. Yeah, Teslas for full electric. I mean, you know, they've all been trained on a lot of this stuff already. So it's just a matter of really sort of integrating it into what's available in the areas that we're going to be racing. So I have one other question on this kind of Misfits Unlimited class, the Insanity Misfits class, is... Yeah. One of the tough things about our sport is the cars have to be street legal. Right. When you're building these weird things that can be anything goes, you'd know this better than me as a car builder. So I'm it just a thing that popped into my brain is how do we make these cars get licensed and be street legal for transits? Well, how do any of those R5s get licensed for street legal? You know, it's kind of the same sort of weird position that, mm -hmm. yeah, they come over as whatever. Like, I mean, to be dead honest, I don't know how those R5s get the road legality that they've had in recent. I, I know of one way that they can. It's only to, for the wealthy. Right. Is they can basically be shipped over here and be here for a year. Then they have to go back right. across to Europe right. and then have to be like there like a month or something, then ship back over here again. And they're good for another year. Right, right, right. That's one way. I do know of that way. I don't know the other ways. I do know of that way, but I feel like the technicalities of it being a road legal car for transits, I don't know how that all works out. So like, that's what I mean. I don't know the exact specifics for stuff like that. But going back to your question on that, I mean, it's really just a matter of you're going to hear me talk to and refer to the competitors as customers, because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we're selling a product, which is rally events yep. <laughs> and competitors are the customer. No, that's a smart way to look at it for sure. You know, so I've been referring to competitors as customers 
a lot in our talks over the last few months over this. But really, at the end of the day, it comes down to their sort of perspective and what they're building. Obviously, there are going to be some limits on what could be road legal for transits and what can't be road legal. You know, and every state is different, too, on what they consider. Because, I mean, there's some states that making right-hand drive cars illegal, imported right-hand drive cars that are illegal, that are meeting the federal 25-year-old importation rule, 25 years or older, but they're now being deemed as illegal cars in some in some states here in the, in, in the east. Really? Jeez. Yeah. Maine and Rhode Island are now considering not just little K cars, but all right-hand drive cars as illegal. And it's starting to filter out, which is terrible, because somebody is lobbying for it to happen. So stuff like that. And then once one state does it, then it's easy to steamroll. If you look at these states, they're doing it too. So yeah, that's pretty typical with legislation. And it just happened with New York State, which is crazy because there are tons of right-hand drive imports in New York. I was just going to say, yeah. And probably New Jersey will fall suit. There's weird things like that. So the customer is going to have to figure it out, basically. Exactly. I mean, that's going to be a customer-based thing where they'll have to figure it out on their state or register it in another state that makes it a road-legal car. In some states, side-by-sides are road-legal. Right. But before we get into side-by-sides, cross-cart, that kind of thing, the next class you have is your regular all-wheel drive classes. Well, regular. Right. Yep. You kind of split your classes by max and light. I noticed, you know, I was kind of looking at the all-wheel drive class, which seems pretty typical, I would say. You know, it's yeah, not the FIA homologated crazy stuff. It's no sequentials. And then basically you have a kind of a split between the naturally aspirated uh, having a minimum weight that's lower than the force induction cars. So right. I can see this is where you're trying to create the competition, right? Yeah, for sure. And actually, there was a rule change on that sequential end of things that was posted today. There should be sequentials allowed in all-wheel drive max, okay. I believe. So that would be almost like you're allowing over those guys that are running in the limited open, whatever they call it, over at ARA. Yeah, actually, now that I'm looking, can add it. It does say transmissions may not be sequential, but are otherwise unrestricted. Okay. So that's for the all-wheel drive max. I know in two-wheel drive max, I think we are allowing sequential boxes. Suspension brakes, transmission, and differentials are open. Removed limitations on sequential for two-wheel drive max only. So yeah, so two-wheel drive can have sequentials. Okay, so that's allowed somebody to have an R2. Exactly, yeah. I think that was the thinking. And to be dead honest, I'm not on the competition board on this, right, right. despite my many uh, building experience and driving experience in different cars. So I'm not on the, the rules committee at all. So I just let them do their thing. And a lot of what they're doing in, in this rule change that just got published today on the website is a direct result of all of the different emails and messages that guys on the competitors committee got over the past couple of weeks stuff that they saw and read about on you know the facebook groups and emails that we got i'm guessing since the pri announcement there is just a flood oh yeah of yeah people wanting to uh give some input which is good i mean like i said you want to see what's out there see what people want because like you said uh it's a customer and at the end of the day like i said we're, we're all rally people right right we just want to make this more appealing and more fun for everybody that's involved, but also people that are on the outside that don't really know about rally. Yeah, yeah. We really want to appeal to an outside crowd. That's part of all of what we're doing is to just sort of create a, a different mindset 
within rally we feel that what's been going on in rally for the last 20 something years here it always just turns out to be the same for some reason yeah clearly that formula doesn't work we have this constant influx of new drivers new teams coming in but then we also have almost an equal amount leaving the sport you know within three years of when they start and we want to figure out a way to not just retain the drivers and co-drivers and volunteers and everybody that we have currently we want to figure out a way to bring new people in and get them to also stay with us you know i mean rally for sure is on the rise seems like every year there's more and more people coming in there's more and more interest i mean you can just see it in the numbers we're getting where entries are maxed out and we you can't allow anymore exactly entries are maxed out you know at a lot of the events we're seeing even just on facebook and the groups you know the the regular North America rally group and then the the North America rally for sale page. I mean, the numbers are getting north of their 10,000 followers or 10,000 members or whatever. You know, they're, they're all right around there. Clearly, there's a surge in interest in the sport. And obviously, with social media and everything else going on, you know, that's it makes it a lot more accessible to a lot of people. You know, that's part of my job is in the promoting end of things is how do I get people in and get them to stay? How do I get the people that are here to stay? Right. I've got many ideas on what I can potentially do to do such things, but that's going to come out in the coming weeks. It's not something I could really talk about here. It's something that I'm working hard on doing. Hopefully, I'll have some announcements before our first event in February. So before we talk about events, I guess the other thing I was going to touch on that kind of makes this group different is that so you got kind of the max which is your open class right so you've got definitely all your turbos all that stuff right then you get into the lights version which is in the all-wheel drive and in the two-wheel drive classes you've basically got more stock right so that's kind of almost your super production almost Um, right yeah it used to be super production or is even more basic than that yeah it's definitely more basic than that actually it's na only yeah. yeah, you're right. So it's naturally aspirated only. So yeah, so we're getting back to you know some real more basics. So you could really have the grassroots guys that don't want to deal with anything crazy and, and build just something that's reliable. And you're not going to be the fastest car, but you're going to be, definitely get a lot of good uh, racing experience. Yeah. And more affordably. It looks like the new rules that just came out today are just two-wheel drive max and two-wheel drive light. Oh, so so not front-wheel drive and rear-wheel drive. They combined them now. Yeah, I think they got rid of that based on some of the responses from people. It does not mention anything about front-wheel drive or rear-wheel drive separation. Okay. So the other thing, you know, as we touched on just kind of just briefly, is you guys have a class uh, called Group X. The idea here is to get in side-by-sides, cross carts, buggies, things like that. I think you kind of kind of mentioned it before, and... Uh, something we've dealt with is obviously the street legality of those and different states having different things. So yeah, is this going to be kind of more limited to, yeah, I guess those areas where they can either transit or you're going to have up and back single road or you're going to stay within the forest where it's okay and they don't have any actual real road transits? Is that kind of the idea? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that's going to be completely up to the event organizer on what is going to be you know able to be run um, just local laws and that such thing. So I think really that's where we'd like to go. So we're putting it out there right now. If we can get side-by-sides, cross carts, buggies, that type of stuff in, you know, we'd almost be a little bit more Irish rallying at that point, right? Because they allow cross carts and these weird things and stuff like that all the time. Those are sort of the areas that we can branch out to and start getting some interest from 
side-by-side groups and stuff like that. I think specifically more so side-by-sides than even cross-carts. Because cross-carts, that's more like people that are already into rally, people that currently have cross-carts. Every one of them that I know that has a cross-cart, they're all rally people. Right. You know, they all have rally cars. They, <laughs> they already know, you know, and have been in the sport for a long time. But the side-by-side group, now, that's obviously a, a massively growing industry. It really is. And that's something that we feel is untapped in terms of the type of drivers that want to do stuff like Baja or, you know, the Mint 400 or any sort of rally stuff, you know, rally raid stuff. And stage rally could be certainly a, a great stepping stone towards, you know, an event like Dakar or, or any, any similar stage style event. You know, I think if we can get in with the side-by-side groups and we have events where they're legal and we can figure out a combination of, you know, how to get them to or from, you know, even if they can't drive on certain roads, I think it would be a massive addition to entries and just an entirely new facet to rally that we've never really had before. Yeah, it's definitely more affordable. One thing that we ran into when they were run in ARA that I recall is the side-by-sides are not far off top open-class rally car speeds. Right. They're freaking wicked quick. Oh, yeah, super fast, yeah. And for, like, you know, a fraction of the cost. But right. what we also ran into, though, is at those speeds... When they crash, the factory cages weren't enough. Right. So right. I'm wondering if you guys are already working on rules on how do you maybe beef that up? Yeah, yeah. Or if you have it where, I don't know if you do different restrictors on them or what you do. I don't know those smaller motors and how you work with them. But we did just notice that the speeds were right up there with a cage that wasn't the same as a car. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the short version. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I know that based on these new rules sets coming out today, I do know that the competitor committee that works with the rules is working on a more descript and proper rule set for Group X. Gotcha. There's a lot of stuff still in the works, basically. Yeah, that's exactly what I was just going to say. Like Everything on what we're doing is obviously a work in progress. Even though we've been working on a lot of this stuff for months, literally every day, we've all been talking to each other and you know, we've obviously got our own internal Facebook group and stuff like that. Talking on the regular and talking about different situations and different items and topics that need to be addressed. I do know that they are working on a more descript set of rules just for group X. Gotcha. Whether that comes out before the first event in February or not, I'm not sure. Um, just because I don't know what their timeline for stuff is and what their timeline goals are. But I do know that they are working on something. And then just kind of finishing off, you're going to be doing motorcycles as well, which is, you know, some of what NASA has allowed them. I can see definitely uh, out east, that's a more common thing. So that's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, for sure. And again, you see them in Dakar and whatnot. So yep. kind of why not? And then I noticed you guys have historics. Yes. A rookie group specifically and a special grassroots award. Yeah. So there's there's a number of things that we've talked about. And and again, there's even some of this stuff is still, you know, somewhat in the works. Historic class is something that I've been kind of pushing for. Of course, I have no say in the rules as to what's currently out there. Basically, you know, just to have a historic group. I mean, back in the old SECA Pro Rally days, we had a historic class and we had a lot of really cool cars come out and run the events. It added a different element that kind of showed the heritage and showed the history of rally in the States and where the cars are coming from and why rally is even a thing. Yeah. Bring Tim's AMC or, uh, the old, uh, 280 Z's, you know, all those fun things. Yeah. Yeah. 
like all those cars in my mind, I think are more than worthy of obviously having their own class. Why make them have to compete directly with current two-wheel drive technologies or even all-wheel drive technologies when they've got a whole bunch of other people out there that are running similar cars? You know, yeah. why not put them in the mix together and who knows? I think the the problem before it was the, you know, cut off of what is considered historic, which is moved, right? As we get, you know, more modern, that shift right. changes. I think there weren't as many before as I think maybe there is now that you can maybe have a class. Right. I get that back when in the SCCA days, they probably did. It was just a lot easier to enter, uh, I think, back then. Yeah, for sure there was. Insurance wasn't what it is today and all those things. So... Yeah, you're right. There's enough out there now. Back in those days, too, you know, SECA, I mean, obviously they have their historic road racing classes. They've got their hill climb stuff. I mean, there's a lot of crossover from hill climb stuff on the old rally cart. That's something that we'd like to sort of get back to in some ways and might also be another way for us to get new competitors in because there are a lot of people that are that love old cars don't want to have anything to do with new cars that are just racing their old cool cars whatever it may be local hill climbs or local historic races on the track or whatever it might be and reality is is it might be eligible for them to come and run rallies with us or they might just find out about the rules and say hey okay cool i'm gonna i'm gonna build a car to specifically historic class. I mean, I think it's something that would really add a different element and different sort of pizzazz to the whole event, whatever event is going to be running uh, historic classes. You know, obviously it's going to be based on numbers of who shows up, but if we can get five or more historic cars together, I think that would be great. I think that'd be awesome for sure. And of course, like you said, you got rookies and then a special grassroots award. Yeah. So the rookie award is something that I feel like has been missing for a long time in rally in recent years. I think the last time we did a sort of rookie of the year award was back with Rally America. I don't think ARA has done one. The current rules that we're doing are a little different, though. It's basically for any driver or co-driver. And basically, it's only for their first ever rally. It's the only time they can apply for it. So it's more of a first timer award. Yeah, it's really like a true rookie award. Yeah, we did that at Oregon Trail. It was fun. Yeah, and we th- we think the formula will work well. It's just another way to recognize, you know, some newcomers to sort of have their own competition at their first rally. It's just something that I feel is important. And, you know, I mean, me personally, I would love to add a Rookie of the Year award to the mix as well. But I haven't had a chance to really discuss that with everybody. So guess what, everybody? Now we're going to talk about it. But yeah, I think that for any aspiring driver, I mean, you know, all of us have this, you know, when we're young and think racing is going to pay for our lives going forward. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we laugh at that. It's one of those things that, like, I think really matters to newcomers. You know what I mean? Because most people, when they're first coming into rally, they're taking it extremely seriously. They're spending a lot of time in training. They're spending a lot of time and money in the car, travel, and, and everything else. I mean, just like everybody else does, but they're taking it extremely seriously. And meanwhile, they're finishing 43rd or something. And right. yeah, some recognition for that is definitely worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I think, like I said, newcomers and aspiring drivers would want to have. You know what I mean? There's at least something there for them at the end of the season 
whatever it is. You know what I mean? Everybody gets a $3 wooden trophy, but that $3 wooden trophy to them means more than anything else you can imagine. I think it's important that we bring something like that back into the mix. Just have have something available. But for the current rookie group situation, like I said, it's going to be driver, co-driver, group X, and moto, and it's going to be based on their first event and how quick they're going versus everybody else. And then the grassroots award, that's going to be really, that's going to be more or less for uh, our competitors committee to sort of give an award to anybody. As long as they start the event, they could DNF the event and still win this award. But I mean, obviously it's going to be subjective (laughs) to the uh, competitors committee in terms of who gets the award. And you know what? I'm totally all for that. You know, at Oregon Trail, we did do that for the first time this year. We had what was um, the Rich Olmstead Award, who was a volunteer that and organizer that passed away, sadly, a few years ago. And we gave that to a person that wasn't competing, but he gives so much to the sport. Right. I think it's a similar kind of thing is recognition of people that do so much at that grassroots level, the effort they put in, they're working on it all night long, you know, and they made it to Park Exposé the next morning and barely made it past the start line and it died again, you know, or something. <laughs> yeah. But that effort, that mentality, that putting so much your heart and soul into it is something we love so much, I think. I, I like that recognition. Yeah, the never say die attitude is what rally is all about. Like I said, it's going to be completely subjective in terms of what, the competitors committee decides to feel deemable enough to receive that award at each event. That's something that, you know, we also wanted to sort of recognize. So very cool. All right. So getting kind of down to some brass tacks here, let's say I'm an organizer and I want to do an event with USRF. What's USR- USRF going to provide me? Steward's going to come out and tech inspector is going to come out to an event. What's going on with timing and scoring? Is that just up to the events themselves to figure out? Any training, promotion? Where do we see entries? All that stuff. Give me the lowdown, man. Gotcha. All right. Our website is usrallysport.com. Obviously, entries, results, that sort of thing will be posted there. Each one of our events will have their own website or already have their own website. Event entries and results will be posted there as well. Even EWRC has already recognized us and has all of our events listed on their website already. So you can even find scoring there. In terms of timing and things like that, timing and scoring equipment, we have a rally competitor that is working on a system uh, similar to Rally Safe and such that actually works in the industry of tracking. Um, so he's working on that stuff right now. And, you know, but we're also keeping our eyes open for, you know, other options. I mean, I spoke to a, a certain company that was at PRI that could also offer similar, I guess, uh, features Mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, rally safe, you know, or easy track, but yeah. So, I mean, you know, we're working on that stuff still. So is the goal to have like a, where you could see online GPS tracking of the cars as well? That's what I'd like at some point. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm just the marketing promotional guy. So I would like to see that for marketing reasons, promotional reasons, um, as well as, you know, safety reasons, obviously that is something that is, 
being discussed what is uh i guess affordable from the events and mm-hmm. competitors and how costs for certain things will trickle down or or however it may be yeah i mean we will have you know stewards and tech inspectors at events we do offer people with extensive experience for such things if you're going to be using a, a newer timing scoring system i'm guessing there's going to be some training that you'd be doing with the organizers yeah 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 for sure so i mean training with organizers but also the volunteers we feel that a lot of the volunteers that are out there not necessarily don't have proper training. In a lot of sense, they don't have proper training. I mean, a yeah. lot of these volunteers, we love them to death. We couldn't possibly have an event without them. We just want to get them proper training beforehand. So, I mean, you know, we're going to be offering proper training for organizers and volunteers on everything from timing to scoring to how to handle crowds to whatever it may be. We feel that there's been a disconnect in volunteer training over the last God knows how many years. When I first started way back when, it was kind of the same thing even. I mean, you know, we're, we're going back 20-something years where I was just kind of thrown in and they're just like, hey, so yeah, just uh, don't let anybody go out on the stage. Don't let anybody walk over here and don't let anybody walk past the tape and that's about it. And they're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, for just a basic marshal, road marshal, yeah. Yeah, and they just speed off into the woods. Here, read this piece of paper to understand how to do, uh, you know, an ATC or a start control. And, and of course, the timing stuff, the timing stuff, it feels so bad for volunteers that come for the first time and just get thrown straight into a timing situation. And then, you know, of course, most drivers and co-drivers are very helpful to help them and are very nice but every now and then you get these some teams that are just they can't handle they don't know how to be nice to other people and you know they yell at volunteers i remember so i was out of stop control we couldn't hear over the cars the finish that was trying to you know radio to us the times and cars showed up right multiple one after another because somebody was driving in on a flat and it just became mayhem. Right. Yeah, I got a little scolded by a co-driver. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know. I have a time we could give because they messed up something as well when they're using the clock. And it, it was a cluster. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. You know. Of course, it happens. But, I mean, to be dead honest, I mean, it's completely uncalled for. I could understand from a competitor standpoint because I've been there. It's frustrating to not get your times or to not get your time card back fast enough when your brakes are on fire and you need to drive. I totally get that. But any sort of flack that any volunteers get is completely uncalled for. And that is definitely not what we're looking for. Well, and I think, again, my problem from it, because, again, I can speak from experience on this, was yeah, I did not know what to do. If you don't get information from this you know other person that's supposed to give you data to put on the time card what do you do in that situation and that was a huge lack of knowledge on my part if i had some training on you know how to handle that situation in advance that would have been hugely helpful yeah yeah for sure you know that's something that we're trying to build a structure for something that we're definitely looking to do at events in the future before we send teams out into the woods we feel like volunteers and even organizers on a lot of situations need to be sort of educated on you know what to do in certain situations even what to do in the basic comments situation you know the normal time card situation or just anything like that it's it's all stuff that you know we feel people need to be properly trained on in some sense we're, we're sort of going after the the european style of volunteers and training just sort of making it trickle down through the generations mm-hmm. so that people can get educated correctly and to be dead honest 
I don't even know personally a lot of I know nothing about what to do in a time control as far as doing timing. Oh man, we need to get you out there, dude. Come on. Oh man, <laughs> I, I know. I mean I I've you know, I've been safety steward, I've done a lot of other stuff, but I've never really done timing and scoring yeah. at the start or even the finish of a stage. Finish is the one that you'll learn the most and it'll uh be the most stressful. Right. If you want to do the easiest, just do an ATC. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. ATC or MTC is pretty darn easy. Yeah, yeah. I can't say it's impossible to know every uh, facet of rally, but there are a lot of different unique positions within the sport that, you know, many different people appeal to. Mm -hmm. So I feel like having some proper training on that level will will go a long way. I know that is something that we're working towards. What about uh, promotion and media? Um, are there going to be credentialed media? And are spectators allowed? I remember there used to be a group of people that thought spectators uh, shouldn't be at events to make them cheaper insurance-wise, which I find completely ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's, that's no way to grow the sport, for sure. My bottom line on that is, where do you think your next volunteer comes from? They were last year's spectator, asshole. <laughs> you know? <Yep>. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's definitely one of the most effective ways to recruit people as volunteers is to have them there as spectators yep. and tell them what sort of benefits they get from being a volunteer. Because obviously, volunteers have a completely different perspective of things versus spectators. So, I mean, spectators are definitely going to be allowed. You know, we're not changing that. I mean, obviously, right now with COVID and everything, you know, we're, it's going to be based on current situations, you know, local regulations and stuff like that. I mean, that's nothing that we can get around, you know, unfortunately. Hopefully that will all come to an end within the next couple of years. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, spectators will be allowed. We are going to have credentialed media. Um, that's something that John Seaton is going to be handling. So, you know, again, on the training aspect of things, I mean, we all know John dashing cars he's been at just about every just about any rally event he can get to i know he did the whole ara calendar this year he's going to be handling um you know credentialed media and training media on where to stand and how to do things and you know all that sort of stuff so we'll have that as far as you know promotion i mean some of that is going to be certainly my responsibility at least from a sanctioning body end of things at the other end of it, you know, a lot of it is going to be, you know, localized promotion to get any sort of local people, local organizations to come out and either volunteer or just simply come and spectate and enjoy the rally and see the cars and meet the people. That's going to be a sort of, you know, per event basis. I mean, I'm going to do whatever I can on my end to sort of help get it out there and make it be known that there's events going on. Cause you know, if a tree falls in the woods, does it really, does it really fall? Does anybody hear it? Hear it right. What about media from the events itself? as far as, uh, video stuff. Is that something you're going to be going to events and doing interviews and getting some stage side video and and things like that? Or what's the plan there? You know, me and John are still talking about that. I think we've kind of come up with a a solid plan uh, on what we want to do. And that's pretty much, you know, John will be helping us to sort of make a like a video recap what's going on at the events. If we can get to the point of doing them daily on multi-day events, I would love to see us be able to turn out uh, a video with some interviews, you know, with people that are winning classes and all that sort of stuff. It's definitely something that we want to work on more. Definitely exposing the, I don't want to call them lesser classes because there's there's nothing lesser about them. Classes that are not 
WRC cars, not the Subaru team, not the R5s. You know, other classes do exist. It's amazing. <laughs> Crazy but true. Crazy but true. You know, and I mean, the reality is, is you know, we would not have events if it wasn't for, you know, the 90% of the field that's out there. We're really wanting to concentrate on the grassroots guys, the other teams that are helping to make the event happen. We realize there's a need for uh, exposure for those guys because, again, you know, it's sort of it, it, it sort of goes back to that rookie award, right, where the people that are coming in for their first time are trying to figure it all out. You know, they haven't been a part of Rally for years. They haven't been competitors for years. You know, they're trying to figure it all out. And how are newcomers and also veterans going to try to figure out a way to stay in the sport and make it affordable? And there needs to be some sort of exposure there for teams so that, you know, their local pizza shop that's sponsoring them or their local dealership Mm -hmm. that's sponsoring them can get some sort of recognition. You know, there's no need to leave these people out. I feel it's super important for not just keeping those people interested in the sport, but it's also important to get other sponsors involved. Because if you don't have any exposure, then how are you going to get new sponsors interested? Does USRF have any sponsors on board for the series yet? Well, ironically, of course, I'm part of that (laughs) (laughs) as well. You know, we have we have technically three different sponsors so um obviously broken motorsports is you know a official cage kit supplier for the series bleeding tarmac is the official parts supplier for the series and then uh we are also working with uh racing for heroes which is a veteran group uh of you know military uh, and ex-military uh, people to sort of transition from military life to uh, civilian life. They do a bunch of different stuff, not just in rally. I mean, they've been involved in rally for a number of years, but they also do a ton of other racing. I mean, I know a lot of these guys from all the different racing that I do. I know that there's a lot of guys that do track racing. They do autocross stuff. They do dirt circle track racing they do nascar stuff i mean they're all over the place they do drag racing they do all kinds of racing i think it's a great honor for us to be involved with them obviously all of our, all of our military it's a a work in progress on everything else of course i can't yeah. really divulge too much into anything on what i'm working on in terms of other other sponsors and and things like that but i am working on a number of series sponsors you know series level sponsors and then i'm working on a massive contingency program oh massive contingency program i can't i can't even begin to tell you how excited i am for our contingency programs and what we have planned so is the idea that each of the classes would actually be able to take home some winnings? That's the plan. Wow. That's my plan. I can't remember the last time that happened other than, you know, when it's the kind of the donated thing, right? You have where, you know, a two-wheel drive group or whatever will come up with something right on their own and everybody kind of pitches in, which surprisingly becomes rather substantial at times. Or maybe oh, yeah. I shouldn't be surprised because we're such a giving community. I think that's very exciting. Yeah, I, I am trying to work on a, a number of things with a number of different companies. You know, obviously, I don't want to put any of the names out there. There are a lot 
that I'm working. You know, I'm, I've been talking with them. It will be, I think, very well received by the community. It's something that I feel has been severely lacking from going as far back as even you know Rally America. You know, oh, yeah. it's not necessary. It's not necessarily anything against the current, you know, the current sanctioning bodies. But I, I feel like, again, the whole premise that I'm after is how do we get our current competitors to make it longer than three years for themselves? Right. How do we get new competitors in and keep them here? You know, and I think contingency programs have a lot to say in that. I've been working really hard with that stuff, of course. With the holidays and everything in the way, it's been, you know, difficult because a lot of people, a lot of these companies, a lot of people that work for these companies that I'm talking to, as soon as PRI is done, they're, they're years over. You know what I mean? Yeah. They close the, the laptop after PRI and they go home and they just, they enjoy the holidays. So I haven't really been able to 100% solidify some of the contingency programs that I'm talking with. Everything will sort of come to the forefront in the new year. I have one last hardball question before we uh, get get to kind of some of the easier <laughs> stuff. Uh-oh. Explain to me how a membership isn't a license. Well, how is it any different from any of the current sanctioning bodies? They all have a membership, and then they all have a license fee. They just call it a license. That is their membership. Is, is that how it goes? Yeah. I thought there was a membership and a license. The license is your membership. Well, NASA, there's a membership and a license. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, NASA has a membership... And then they have a license, and it's the same thing that SCCA has. They have a membership, and they have a license, you know, because they have different levels of racing within, where we don't really have that. You know what I mean? We have just one particular thing. I, I just had to point that out, just because, like, I'm reading this, and I'm like, wait a minute. A membership is kind of the same thing, but okay. You know, it's kind of semantics, yeah, and yeah. It, I, I just found it kind of funny. But I do, you know, like how you're saying that, in general, it's like, okay, we want to be inclusive of other sanctioning bodies this isn't about trying to take away from everybody else and we're going to be the new gods no no and that's it's not at all what it's about right and and the reality is is you know and i keep telling this to everybody else too is like we are just providing another option yeah that's all it is you know everybody's like oh my god are you gonna take over ara are you gonna get rid of nasa it's like no like we're here to sort of fill a void for lack of better terms, there are, like you said, there are so many events that are capping out. And then all those other people, where do they go? There, There is a need. There's a clear need for more events in this country. So why not provide another option? It doesn't make sense to just continue on with NASA and continue on with ARA only. We're trying to do something different. We're trying to make the, you know, sport last by figuring out a way to keep our competitors, figuring out a way to keep our customers returning. All right, so let's talk about events. Yeah. So you have a schedule already out. Um, I believe I saw six events on it so far. Yes, yeah. I'm guessing these ones are probably the ones that are certain. Correct. Uh, I'm guessing it because it's you know still early days that there could be more. Explain this new schedule. Yeah, I mean, we are working on two to three other events that you know we're, we're trying to solidify. Hopefully, we'll be able to announce those you know as soon as we lock them in. Our first event is first weekend in February, and it's going to be hopefully a snow event. We're actually going to be allowing uh, WRC studs Wow! because the event is actually all on one property, which is Camp Freedom. Camp Freedom is huge. I was there as like a, some sort of a steward 
for their rally sprint that they held earlier this year. And they, I want to say their their space is like six or 700 acres. And then they just acquired, not long after our rally sprint there, they just acquired something like another four or 500 acres. And there's all these service roads within the property. There's a nice big field for us to have service. There's a, a nice garage or, or bay for us to sort of... Uh, have our our meetings and you know results and you know uh an event party at the end and and all that sort of stuff and um you know those guys too i mean they're very it's camp freedom is a uh, a veteran driven uh establishment that that is basically there to help any sort of uh ex-military transition from you know military to civilian life and they're usually taking on people with ptsd and you know drug problems alcohol problems you know etc we feel that they're a great fit for what we're doing especially with racing for heroes and working with our military so that event is just going to be a winter sprint actually kathy moody is going to be the uh the event steward for that event we're going to be hopefully doing that and then of course we've got uh the two tarmac rallies down in uh, Kentucky, uh, Raven Rock Rally and plenty of tarmac rally in May and then June. And then um, we're going to be back up in northeast Pennsylvania at Camp Freedom for a full-blown stage rally. That's late July. Late August, we have an old rally with a new name. Um, this is Black River Stages. Uh, Black River Stages mm-hmm. started in the late 90s. has fantastic roads honestly out of all of the rallies i've done over the years this is still one of my favorite rallies not just for the stages but you know everybody in the town loves it the area of new york is is beautiful and the town wanted to rename the rally because black river is not necessarily not near there but none of the black river is really being run near um during the event, they sort of wanted to be called the Adirondacks Gateway Stages. So that was that was deemed by the township oh, that's uh, cool. what they wanted to name it, which is super cool. Yeah, having a community that backs a rally is like the, the best thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. And the, everybody up there is just fantastic. We love everybody in Harrisville, New York. They are super excited to have us come back because, you know, we've had a number of years where things had changed. So we had we had Anders starting to step down away from his event role as uh, event organizers. And he started to step away from a bunch of different events. So uh, another guy named Brad took it over. He did a fantastic job of sort of reorganizing the event into a one-day rally, ran it for that one year, and then Brad disappeared. Nobody heard from him up until just this year. We didn't know if he was dead. We didn't know if he was alive. We didn't know if he'd left the country. We didn't know if he was in prison. We had no idea. He literally just disappeared. We unfortunately haven't had the event for the past few years. You know, this year, despite, you know, the low entries, we wanted to go through with the event because we wanted to bridge that gap again with the community, you know, and even though there was only whatever, 12 cars or something that we had as entry, it re-energized the community up there. They realized how much they had missed having the event, and they are now sort of opening arms 
and allowing us to have access to roads that we've never had access to before. Wow. So, you know, things have completely turned around up there. They're extremely excited to have us back. And we're obviously excited to be back up there. So, I, you know, that I cannot wait for this event to happen this year. It's going to be a much, much bigger event in terms of stage miles and even possibly some new stage roads that we've been looking at. It's going to be a good one. Obviously, it's not going to be on the same weekend that we typically have had uh, Black River stages, which is usually like the second or third week of September. Um, this is going to be on the same weekend as a Jibway, but we feel that, you know, the some odd 1,200 miles between both rallies are not going to make a difference. You know, a lot of other people on, you know, the internet are saying, oh my God, why did you have, you know, schedule it the same weekend? Well, because 1,200 miles away doesn't make a difference for who shows up. Maybe one or two people at most. So we're not too, too concerned about that. I would say that one thing that I noticed right away when I saw this schedule is that the obvious want to not conflict right. with the schedule of other events yeah. in the air, in the general region. Yeah, of course. We, we don't want to compete again, you know, with anybody else's events. You know, we're here to support rally as a whole. Yes, of course, we want people to come to our events, but we also don't want to take people away from other events or vice versa. It doesn't make for, for good help on anything. Yeah. It's the same weekend as Ojibwe, but again, we felt that the 1,200-something miles difference between both rallies is not going to make much of a difference. And um, also, too, the town was sort of animate about having it on this particular weekend. This is going to be... the the same weekend as one of their big like festivals that they have oh perfect yeah so there's going to be a lot more people in town there's your promotion right there exactly there's going to be a lot more spectators this is one of those events may be able to make side-by-sides happen as well hmm. and there is a local uh utv group um that we sort of uh became friendly with this year that is already looking to field a few teams that's exciting for us and you know we think that that will be a great rally and then going back down to kentucky in late october we have a full gravel rally and that too is going to be a fantastic gravel rally the stages down there and the amount of stage roads that are being uh, offered to us and available to us are massive i mean forget about a hundred stage miles we're being offered something like three to four hundred worth wow. of stage miles obviously we can't run a rally with that many miles but you know we are hoping to increase stage miles from what they seem to be you know coming down in recent years i mean i when i first started racing you know a little over 10 years ago it was pretty common for most stage rally events to have 120 130 135 stage miles and I just feel like that keep that number keeps coming down. Yeah. You know, I, I keep feeling like I know ARA's goal for national events is hundred and thirty miles around there. Yeah. But I just feel like a lot of stage rallies either, you know, lose stages, which of course, you know, there's you can't control what happens during an event. Yeah. You know, if you have to close a road because of something happens or, or whatever. I mean, you know, but at the end of the day it always seems to be there always seems to be a loss of some stage miles somewhere, you know, and that's something that we're, we're keen to try to uh, retain our stage miles as much as we can. If we have to even open up, you know, a rally to 150 to 160 stage miles just to sort of retain those mileage, then, you know, it might be, might be the way we go. 
I guess kind of summarize. So we've got, you know, new sanctioning body, still some changes coming. Make sure you pay attention to the to the website, which of course is at usrallysport.com. You've got a little bit differences in classes, but the idea is to be inclusive. Obviously, you got that the the crazy class, uh, insanity and misfits, <laughs> but also you know a lot of the existing cars that are out there and and, and built uh, will fit into probably your max uh, or light classes, whether in four wheel drive or two wheel drive. You want to have spectators. You know, you want to do promotion. You want to uh, you want to work as closely with organizers as, as you can to make sure that everybody's trained up and, and well and ready to go. Still, some things uh, to figure out though is kind of a lot of what I'm hearing. But you know, obviously that's that makes sense. It's just been announced. Committee driven by a lot of experienced folks, including competitors, volunteers of years and years. So kind of a little bit of wait and see, but you've got a schedule. And a lot of people are working hard to make it happen. Is that about right? That's that's pretty much yeah. Sums it up very well. Like I said, you know, the, the some odd thirty five people that we have working behind the scenes. A lot of people know. A lot of people have been involved in rally for a long time. Have a lot of experience. And at the end of the day, we really just want everybody to come out, have fun, enjoy a rally. You know, hopefully that will translate to. Uh, to future uh, competitors and customers. All right. So I want to finish up, though, with uh, a little bit of fun here. One question I was suddenly thinking about, I was listening actually to another podcast where they were talking to some uh, some folks that have been around uh, motorsport a long time. You got any fun rental car stories? Oh, God. It seems like everybody's got some. Are, are there any you're allowed to say? Rental car stories, like my own personal rental yes. car stories or yes. just other people's rental oh, no, car no, stories? Oh, no. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not to throw somebody else under the bus, but we, we've all been out there doing recce and whatnot with rental cars and or whatever, <laughs> or going to motorsports events. Oh God, yeah. Well, I mean, I nothing from me per se. Oh, you lie! I've never rented a car for recce. I always bring my own car. Okay, okay, fair enough, fair yeah. enough. You've got to have a story that you've done with one of yours then. Something stupid or funny. You know, I gotta say, I've been lucky. I've never had either. You're such a disappointment to me. I know. I've never. I've, I've Damn been, it, Petro. I've seen. <laughs> I've seen. Yeah, right. I've seen a lot of other problems and things. I mean, I, I can tell you stories without dropping names. All right. Give me one. Well, I mean, for one, course opening car for an event that on the way to the stages or actually on the way from the cabin that we were staying at to the stages uh for day two made it to like maybe two miles down the road and somehow the drain plug for the oil had backed itself out and it lost all of its oil and the thing died like not far after (laughs) oh no (laughs) that's one Another one is uh, at a certain event out west a long, long time ago. Many people uh, rented, you know, obviously had rental cars for recce and uh, found a beach and uh, continued to uh, jump it and have drag races and all kinds of fun stuff. It was that was an interesting time, too. (laughs) Anything happened to the cars or they all uh, just just dirty, but otherwise fine. One of them got pretty mangled, took a nosedive and. did some decent damage up front. <laughs> <laughs> rental cars, fastest cars in the world. Oh yeah, wrecking rental cars, drive them like you stole them. <laughs> All right, and uh, last couple of questions. Again, just stolen from uh, something else I listened to. Just kind of get a little insight on you. Again, this is all about you on this in this case. Uh-oh. Favorite book, favorite music, artist or genre, 
you're going to be, again, on long transits, uh, heading out to an event, and favorite movie? Oh, God. That's a tough one. Well, I mean, the books thing... I don't really read. Well, you're more of a movie guy. There you go. Yeah, I'm a bit ADD, and I can read a page and get to like I get to a certain word, and it just takes me off into space. And I just <laughs> like that one word will take me somewhere else, and I'll somehow continue reading the page. But then I get to the end of the page, and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't remember anything that I just read. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd have to go back and read it. It takes me forever to read books, so I don't read books. Uh, favorite movie. I'm a huge sci-fi buff, so I like like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, I would say is definitely one of my favorites ever. It's one of those things that whenever it's on, it's like uh, I can't change a channel now. Yeah, no, you just have to sit there and watch it for the hundredth and two hundredth, three hundredth time. I almost watched it last night, actually. Okay, you need to change the horn on one of your cars to do that. That would be amazing. I should do that for the Z. That would be awesome. Right? Holy crap. Yeah, that would be funny. We've got a new plan. Yeah, that would be that would be so cool. But then, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think music, again, I'm kind of all over the place. For transits, I would need something to keep me motivated, keep me moving. Something high beat. Uh, so probably something electronic. Probably drum and bass or jungle, <laughs> which is uh, quite a bit out there for most people that's for sure (laughs) i think that's a good way to end it you know all right well thank you so much for taking the time and uh chatting with us i really appreciate it and uh look forward to see you know how this uh pans out you know again early days still a lot to learn oh yeah for sure i don't see it as competition as i see it as a just a, a natural growth there are events that just have too many entries and there's also you know smaller events that want to get started I think we've been missing out on more of the rally sprints and things like that that are some of the, the either the shorter events and yep. things like that. As I love the national championship we have. It's just th- there's still an opening for other things, and that's what I see this for. And and you guys are going to step out and try some new stuff that other people aren't. I definitely acknowledge that. That's a cool idea. Yeah, I mean, somebody's got to do it, you know, <laughs> so why not be a... All right, well, folks, make sure you stay tuned. Again, it's usrallysport.com. Make sure you follow your uh, Facebook page, USRF. Yep. This has been William Petro from Broken Motorsports, who's also the uh, USRF Marketing and Promotional Director. Well, hello there, motorsports fans. Do you need a performance battery for your race car, rally car, or even your daily driver? Here at Melee, we have time-tested solutions for all of your automotive needs. Make sure to check us out at www.meleedesignfirm.com, a proud sponsor of the Open Paddock Rallycast since 2020. Well, thank you again to our guest, William Petro, and a big shout-out to our producer, Derek Johnson-Love, for getting this stuff put together and sounding so good. And again, thanks to our supporters, Melee Design Firm and Oz Rally Pro. Thanks for listening, folks. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. And remember, don't speed on recce.